We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Growth Triggers Episode 9. Eric, I haven't seen you in a month. How's it going? It's going well, man. Yeah, it's been a minute. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, you know, as always... In the gym, <laughs> because of because of the uh, the slow rate of vaccination, the slow rate that in Texas we haven't been done it, so we're kind of like we're not we're not in lockdown. Things opened up today in Finland, so they opened up gyms and everything. So, but I'm I'm still at home. Gonna go to the office tomorrow. Super excited about that. But um, but other than that, you know, things are the same. Things are the same. It kind of feels like a groundhog day every day. But but this week has been different for you because of the att finally yeah it's been uh, not a groundhog day for me it's been a yeah. kind of hectic crazy crazy week but um yeah it's i mean i think it's uh it's it was everyone knew it was happening right mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a surprise everyone knew this was the date um and i think you know the people that i the companies that i work with you know just sort of by default are semi-prepared or at at, at least semi-prepared some of them yeah. are very well prepared and so uh, it hasn't been a disaster, but uh, yeah, it was a big week. So I wanted to ask about that. Like there are companies that are prepared and those, of course, the ones that work with you and others, but, <laughs> but I've like, I've been, I've been talking to some companies, big ones, like big, big ones to their heads of UA and so forth. And they are not prepared. Like they weren't prepared. Yeah. And and basically the answer has been, they they kind of like I was asking like how are you going to do this and what's happening with this what's going to happen happening with that they they presented like a, a good 2019 playbook for for yeah, growth right and yeah. I was like th- th- that makes all the sense but 
will it make sense tomorrow or like starting this week? And the answer has been more like, well, dude, we still got Android. Like, what do you think about yeah. that? And I was like, all right, that sounds like an answer. But what do you think about that type of a approach? Well, first, I would say that if you are totally unprepared and you want to sort of understand how to even get started, I have just published an online workshop uh, for that purpose. Uh, the, the website is ios14strategy.com. And uh, for listeners of, of Growth Triggers, I'm offering a 50% off discount through uh, the end of this week. So th through the end of uh, tomorrow, end of April 30th of GT30, if you use the code GT, uh, sorry, GT50, if you use the code GT50 at checkout, you'll get 50% discount on the course. And it's, it's $200 normally. Everything is in description. In description of this podcast, just go in yeah. there. There's a code and there's a link. Yeah, GT50, iOS14strategy.com. It's a two-hour, seven-part course, and it'll get you sort of uh, caught up. It'll, it'll get you, uh, it'll give you a very, very sort of like thorough understanding of the situation and what you need to do to adapt. So that's one thing. If you, if you need to get started and you're starting from zero or you want to just validate some of the decisions you've made, um, go to ios14strategy.com. Uh, to answer your question, I think, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's fine if, if Android can carry your business. I don't know that most companies feel like Android is, you know, enough of a, enough of a, of, of a platform share or enough, enough of a platform to, to, to carry their entire business. I don't know if a lot of companies that want to just give up on iOS. No, it was, uh, so the way they presented the strategy is, is that, Hey, we're going to just soft launch everything on, and this is a few different companies, big, big ones, publishers. And they said, well, we're just going to test everything on, on play and just carry over it to iOS. And um, yeah, basically that's been the approach. Like they are going to run their campaign, the ad sets, the campaigns, the creatives on play, and then do the carryover for, for uh, iOS. I see. Yeah, that's, I, that's just not going to work. So first of all, the Play Store assets are totally different from the iOS assets, right? If you look at the App Store store, mm -hmm. uh, the assets are totally different. Um, secondly, I mean, it's just been my empirical experience that the, the best performing Android creative is very rarely the best performing iOS creative. There's just a, a difference in, in receptiveness. That, I mean, it makes intuitive sense if you think about the Android hardware landscape. I mean, it's just so much more stratified there's there's so many more android options than there are ios options if you're on ios you're either on the most recent or the second most recent phone like this, the hardware uh, form factor right on android you could be on any number of different form factors i mean there's just a and that's that's a that, i mean that obviously creates issues for for development of games in terms of just like qa right and making them work but it's also like it creates a lot of it, it, it there's just a lot of differences in those underlying sort of demographics and the sort of underlying, uh, you know, financial situations and whatever. And so, you know, if you look at Android as like a monolith, it, well, there, there is no Android. It's, it's, you know, high end Samsung, it's low end Samsung, it's, you know, whatever, Huey, it's whatever, uh, OnePlus. There's, a, there's mm -hmm. just so many different manufacturers and, and all those manufacturers have like their kind of specific audience and they all kind of just behave very differently. Um, across the hardware spectrums within those uh, within those sort of audiences. So, yeah, it's it, it it's just always been my experience that the Android creative that is like you know performing best that gets elevated to like to like live campaigns is is usually different from the iOS creative. That's fascinating. I, yeah, and it's and it's interesting to hear like 
I didn't know that. So I, I didn't have anything to say. I've just heard this during the last week. I've heard it for from several, several big publishers that they are, you know, felt pretty comfortable because as they said, we still got Android. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting that, that people would take that approach. I, I guess I'd never really even heard of anyone doing that. I mean, yeah, there's, so there's just a, there's a total, I mean, creative testing is one thing. I mean, even if you said, look, uh, that can't possibly be true that the, the best performing creative is, is different. Um, or we don't care because like the sort of performance differential is not going to be that big. It doesn't really matter that much. I mean, that's one thing, but that's just, you know, kind of thinking about creative testing is just one aspect of this, right? I mean, you're, you're going to need to make uh, SK ad network work just so that Facebook can operate your campaigns effectively. I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. not, that's not something that you have to do. That's something that the platforms have to do. And so you've got to put the work in to figure that out. Um, there's just no avoiding it. If you just kind of ignore that um, and, and and just assume that Facebook will figure something out. Well, they have figured something out. It is that you have to implement the conversion values and, and, and they'll use those to optimize your campaigns. If you don't do that well, you're just going to lose market share on iOS. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, during this last year, a lot of talk has been, with, with different attribution partners talking about fingerprinting and other, other you know, kind of workarounds that you have been debunking regularly on Twitter. Yeah. What's uh, the messaging now? I mean, they're, they're doing it, but I don't think Apple's going to allow it for that long. So basically, there was always, oh, okay, interesting. So they're still, they're, they're doing it, but Apple hasn't called them out yet. There was always this kind of unofficial acknowledgement of like a grace period mm -hmm. that you'd be able to do this stuff for however long until until apple said you couldn't and you know the problem with that is well we don't know when apple is going to say that you can't do it anymore we've seen apple slap companies wrists right yeah. recently for doing this and so and you know it's not a long-term solution so why do it at all i mean i guess you know if you're talking to these big companies and they're like, yeah, we have no plan. Um, well then you, you can't just shut them off. So I get why these companies are supporting this. Um, and some of them are sort of feel like less, uh, sort of less reality based than others, but some of the ad tech companies, but I think if you're, if you're talking about, you know, some of these companies are big companies at this point and you're never going to get acquired. You're never going to be able to go public if you're doing something that is against the, the sort of um, the regulations of the platform that you're totally dependent on, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about a company that's, you know, a multi-billion dollar company and they want to ever go public, they, ever, they want to ever get acquired, you can't have this massive liability hanging around your neck, which is the fact that, you know, you do fingerprinting when Apple has specifically and explicitly and, and repeatedly said that that is not allowed mm -hmm. by their privacy policy. You just can't do that. No one's going to acquire you. You know, they're going to do... 30 minutes of due diligence say like wait a minute this company breaks the rules apple could ban them at any second yeah so they're living on the prayer well they're they're living on this this grace period but i think that the grace period is not gonna be that long and when it ends they're gonna have to figure something out but yeah they're all they're all doing fingerprinting because i mean they were they were doing it um you know prior to this for lat traffic and so every you know every company was used to it they can't just shut it off um but they're going to, I mean, and, and companies that haven't sort of woken up to the reality of ATT and they're just sort of th thinking that, oh, well, look, 
my my MMPs figured this out. They 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 call it probabilistic attribution. Like, well, they've got their heads in the sand, and they're gonna they're they're just gonna lose market share. But um, but yeah, I mean, I've you know, I've I've seen I've seen the data from these from companies that I'm working with, and and yeah, they're they're fingerprinting. Hmm. And and now you see the MMPs just need to focus on tracking incrementality. Is that the uh, the, the the next step? Could be. I mean, I don't know. Um, focus on Android, uh, you know, build some kind of analytic solution. I mean, that's, they've got to decide that, I, you know, that that's, this is a tough, this is a tough blow to that business. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, doing, doing the kind of fingerprinting based attribution, that's just not a viable strategy long-term. And I don't think you're going to be able to do it in a way that app, I don't think you'll ever be able to do it in a way that Apple deems compliant. Like, it's just not, it's like fundamentally at odds with the ATT um, policy. And so you'll never, you'll never find a way, you'll never figure out a way that is compliant. Like there's no clever approach to this that, that satisfies Apple's requirements. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Apple has been really vocal about this, this whole privacy thing. Uh, they've been, you know, really writing, writing it hard. So we'll see yeah. what happens. How, how long do you give, by the way, Google before they implement the same privacy structure? I don't know. It's funny because, you know, I published this piece in Harvard Business Review um, with my friend Julian. And uh, we had written that, you know, Google has said they're going to do the same thing. And, and some people from Google emailed us like, hey, we never said that. Um, and, and, it, and I, you know, I had, that kind of slipped by me when, when we were editing. But yeah, that's right. They, it got reported that they were thinking about it or that they were going to do it, but they never actually said it. I don't know. I, I don't think it won't look like this and it won't be as strict and it won't be as um, hostile <laughs> to advertisers, but uh, they'll, they'll do something. I think probably next year, I think they'll probably roll it out with the web-based approach um, which is what they're kind of struggling with right now. And that I think has gotten delayed. So I think they were supposed to do that. There's, they're supposed to roll out this, the, the, they were supposed to basically get rid, like get rid of third-party cookies for Chrome. And, and this year, and I think that is is delayed now to next year, and so they'll probably do it across mobile and uh, like apps and web at the same time. So my guess would be they do something next year, but it's going to be based on this this kind of um, this kind of approach that they've they've taken, which is just like aggregating up users into into cohorts and mm -hmm. doing a lot of of the decisioning on the device so that it the data never actually leaves the device. Um, which is like a very novel approach called uh, federated learning, mm -hmm. but uh, they've they've done a lot of work there, and that'll probably be how the, that'll probably probably be how this looks like, which will retain a lot of the efficiency and just be sort of like more privacy uh, protective. Although, I mean, you get these people. I mean, there are people on Twitter who are who who just who think that any any sort of ads targeting is like a this just massive unacceptable violation right it, like any data that is collected by users any sort of ads targeting ads should just be you know coca-cola mm -hmm. like the, the coca-cola santa ad is like what every ad should look like to these people they're just so ideological about it um and it makes no sense but so there there's a lot of people that are opposed to google's approach which to my mind is very smart it's just a really novel effective way of protecting people's privacy while still allowing for ads targeting to work. Yeah. You're like, no, there's I, someone could figure out what cohort I'm in. 
like yeah, it's just I mean, like, but like just these theoretical ways that you know potentially someone can. And, and, I don't know, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think Google's Android policy will probably roll out at the same time as their Chrome policy, which is probably next year. What? So, I was having a discussion again. Um, so this is something you wrote about maybe a year ago. Yeah, maybe about a year ago is the role of a CMO in a in a games company yeah and of course back then we didn't know that att is coming so soon or actually you've been saying it for five years but but, <laughs> but we didn't know that it's going to be in 2021 yeah what do you think is the uh, is the role now because here's what i'm asking again i've been talking to, to different companies and they have been saying that that they are now looking for marketers who are better with with brands better with campaigns yeah. and kind of even looking at some of the, the folks who have been working in AAA, you know, launching the halos of the world and yeah. those type of campaigns and saying like, well, now this type of approach might actually work with mobile. What's your take on that? Um, I, I just, I, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to believe that that is going to be true. Um, Cause I think where we're going is like, um, you remember in back to the future when like, you know, he goes back in time, uh, maybe I'm misremembering this, but well, anyway, he, he goes back to like these kind of different versions of points in time, uh -huh. right into hillside. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we're doing here. We're going back, but to like a just different looking version of like 2015, yeah and okay. that was may, maybe that was a like 2015 yeah I, I guess yeah you did have like kind of brand marketing uh sensibilities that and that was that was 2015 ish was when people started really pushing into like ip licensing and stuff but mm -hmm. like we're going back to that moment knowing what we know now like knowing hey ad, ads can actually build huge businesses if you do it really well and so like, we got to figure out how to do that with just like the limited tool set that we have at our disposal so my sense is like you wouldn't go back we wouldn't we wouldn't go back in time and and make the same mistakes again yeah right uh, we would probably go back in time armed with the knowledge of what life could look like you know um but with just sort of like limited capacity to make that reality so my sense is like you probably aren't i mean there's always a difference too like you know you and i are, are have worked at startups right that's yeah. that's our background and, and and big companies but like you know you're at you started a startup yeah. I've mostly worked at startups in, in my life. And, and so like, there's just no room for brand marketing sensibilities at a startup. Like you, I mean, you have to, you can bake that in, but that's not how you operate day to day. Um, if you, if you're, if you're trying to just grow, you need some means of doing that. It can't be this like idea that, you know, we could build a brand someday and that will just create a magnet for a lot of users. So my, my sense is that like that, maybe that, maybe that, that, is true for like big companies. They want to bring these brand people in um, to say, say, hey, look, we've got this existing user base. We've got, you know, 2 million DAO or we've got 5 million DAO. Let's try to wrap a brand around this product so that, um, you know, we can use that for the next product or we can just like tap into the existing brand recognition that we have and utilize that to the, to the best, uh, in the best way possible and, and to, to capitalize on it. But I think if you're a startup, um, yeah, you know, try, you know, have, have some sort of like brand goals, have brand ambitions, but that's not going to grow your audience mm -hmm. from zero. Yeah. And, it, yeah. I, I agree. It was just, I, I think the, 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 the weirdest part about that thesis 
was that it's almost like disregarding everything that we have learned till this right. point in performance yeah. marketing and saying, well, it was a cool ride, but it's over. Yeah. Let's yeah, get yeah. back into brands. Let's go Mad Men. It's like, yeah. like well, what are you talking about? And, and that's the back to the future analogy kind of fits. I think, yeah. I think it does play a bigger role. And I think that with the work with IPs, like a lot of companies are super interested in IPs. Um, kind of, especially with the historical data where they're looking at what IPs worked, what didn't with different genres and different combinations to kind of look into the future and and maybe come up with ideas of what kind of IPs they want to work with in in the specific genre that they're making games in. But, um, but overall, I, I, I kind of don't see it. And it's also, it would be a little bit of disheartening that everything would go to just brands because we know in AAA, there's only few games that, that get, you know, enough attention in, in the media. Everything else is, is a yeah. blip, you know, a team works a lot on a game and they come up with something and it's pretty cool. And it's a blip unless yeah. it starts growing somehow through, through Twitch. Right. Well, that's, and that's the, yeah, exactly. I mean, your, your point is a really good one. How many brands are there? There's like five. Yeah. Like what, like, it's not like there's, there's a million brands out there and through their brand, they're growing. Like there's like five, like, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to create the next uh, Grand Theft Auto? How many yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars went into marketing those games? Battlefield. And then Battlefield and Call of Duty. Like, what are you going to, how are you going to do that? Yeah. There's like a handful of brands that are true, genuine, like the brand carries the marketing for this title. And those, those games still spend a hundred million dollars each. Exactly. I mean, those, those releases are, are like, you know, theatrical film releases. Like that's not, that's not the, that's not a, a, a reasonable thing that you can assume your game is going to become like, it, it, they're very expensive to build those brands. Like people think like, oh, brand free marketing, like no way, you know how much money goes into marketing those games. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and how, how long of a time? Like, like the, these are like two decade old franchises. And of yeah. course, there are, there are some new ones. Like, I think Apex has been pretty good at, at, at building something. Uh, yeah. And now, now we'll see actually how well it resonates. But take a look at it. Take a look at League of Legends and look at that right. on mobile. Take a look at Witcher on mobile. Like, I've heard that they are coming out with a Witcher game and they're basically saying, like, hey, well, we have the show. And it's a big franchise on AAA and so forth. So we think that it's going to generate a lot of installs. And I'm a little bit skeptical because League of Legends games like Runeterra or Wild Rift or um, TFT, all three had League of Legends IP on it, didn't generate that many installs compared to right. the you know fucking League of Legends. That's like the biggest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, I think my my sort of guiding light on this topic has always been um, uh, the CEO of, of MZ, Gabe, I'm blanking on his last name. He, he did an interview with, uh, at the Recode conference a couple years ago, I think with uh, uh, Walt Mossberg, where he was talking about their use of, um, you know, these kind of celebrities in their games promotion and working like on TV and stuff. And he like, it was all these uh, like, kind of traditional media execs in the room and he just like he like i mean he was a very aggressive guy have we talked about this on i feel like we have we we've either talked about it privately i'm not sure if we talked about it on on podcast we've talked about gabe in 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 many instances i've met him as well he's a he is a very aggressive person uh you know you know in a good way probably he's a colorful guy um 
but anyway, he's, he just got really aggressive. He like, po- he's pointing at the audience and saying like, you guys don't know how to do your jobs. And you know, you're, you're terrible. And, but it, it, I mean, he was, he was kind of, he was right. I mean, he was talking about their use of like celebrities and trying to build a brand and stuff. And he was saying like, the point of that is just to make their performance marketing ads more efficient. Like that was never to generate installs for the games. Like when they, um, you know, when they got Arnold Schwarzenegger as the face of Mobile Strike, that was never about installs. That was about uh, slapping Arnold on an ad and having that ad be clicked with like, you know, 0.07234%, you know, more uh, like, uh, you know, I don't know, more more, uh, likeliness, likelihood. So, that was the that was the aim of that. It wasn't to like, hey, we 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 have Arnold Schwarzenegger and we, we and we we film these very expensive commercials. Where are the installs? It was yeah, let's film these commercials and then let's cut them up into two thousand ads and yeah. let's put a hundred million dollars worth of marketing behind them. And when people see these ads, they're, they're much more likely to click on them because Arnold's in it, and we'll make our money back because this two hundred dollars that we deploy will be so much more efficient than if we had deployed it without Arnold. So, so actually, that's a good point. Uh, if you have seen the, uh, the Facebook um, Gaming Marketing Insights 2021 report, one of the interesting part, we actually have a podcast coming out on that. One of the interesting part that, that they, they raised was the role of familiar, familiarity. And yeah. what has happened is three out of four games downloaded in the West have been with a brand or an IP that the users knew. And only yeah. one, of, one fourth wasn't. And when you look at the same thing in like South Korea and more like these mature, like super mature mobile market, there only one of 10 games was one where, where the players did not know the IP huh. or the brand or like didn't have any familiarity with it. That's interesting. Yeah. And that has been going more and more over the years towards now it's like three out of four, but inside five years, I think it's, and even faster with ATT, I think it's going to be, yeah. you know, eight out of 10 is going to be familiar to, to the player installing the game. Yeah. Which is almost a, it's almost, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's not a pleasant future because dealing with IP holders is a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, and we've, we've definitely talked about this, but like, it's, we've talked about this and I've, we've worked on those games, at least a couple of games with an IP and, and by the way, I wanted to just say what you said about the Arnold thing with the, with the machine zone. That's actually so true because oftentimes when you work with a celebrity and what they would say is like how many Twitter followers they have, how many Instagram followers, yeah. it's like that doesn't generate installs. Right. I need to use your face to get clicked. Yeah. Like I still yeah. need to do the work and you just add familiarity and that click through rate to get that. But right. your Twitter alone, you saying that, hey, guys, play Candy Crush with me or whatever it is, the game yeah, you're yeah. promoting is really worth nothing. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those like like a kind of open secret with a lot of these celebs that their Twitter followers are all fake. I mean, there's no reason just just because someone's a movie star, there's no reason, you know, apropos of nothing, apropos of not ever using Twitter, that they have 10 million followers. I mean, they're, they're, they buy they buy them. You can buy Twitter followers in Fiverr. Uh, you know, it's not hard. And so a lot of times, you know, someone will have 2 million followers. They've tweeted like four times. And, you know, if they tweet something, it's going to get like three likes. <laughs> um, all right. So I wanted to touch upon one of the, uh, the latest article that you actually wrote. 
and that was on the MDM. You had a creative paralysis at creative production and testing on iOS 14. And I think it was uh, like for me, because I'm, you know, I'm pretty much not well versed in performance marketing. I understand only the high level. This was really, really good breakdown. And it really ties into what we've been talking today. And that is the, the notion of we still got Android. Like that's, that's what I've been hearing yeah. so many times. That's why this was so interesting read. So you had a really, really interesting. So I suggest, first of all, to folks to go to MDM. So mobiledevmemo.com. And of course, if you're listening to this, you probably know mobile dev memo really well. Um, you break down the two, like how the campaigns changed. So the previously the campaigns worked in a way that you have a campaign and each campaign has a, um, a certain amount of ad sets. And by ad sets, you mean targeting plus the bid. And then the, those ad sets are broke down into creative. So every targeting has a set of different type of creatives. And then through that, you're able to see what kind of creatives perform well with a certain targeting and a bid, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then the way it's changing with, with uh, SK Ad Network is that you have one ad set, so one set of targeting and bids, and you have only one creative targeted to that. So if you say, you know, I'm just going to do like super generic, I'm going to do like um, 18 to 35 year old male, US, they like baking, they like tea, they like coffee, and they also like Call of Duty and all these shooter games, and they also like hard rock and yada, yada, yada. And that's kind of like yeah. my ad set that I'm going to create. And instead of like pushing all these type of different creatives where I could test different, you know, with, with based on different, like different traits, like I could do altruistic creative where there's a shooter game and you're saving somebody down to vengeance type of a creative where they're, you know, um, like we've seen a ton of those ads where, where you get beat up and then you get a gun and you come back and you shoot them. And that's like, a, that's your, like your vengeance creative. I'm not able to do that. I need to do one campaign for each and Apple limits those campaigns and they're further limited uh, by Facebook uh, and Google because you can have only like Facebook was nine different campaigns simultaneously. Google was eight. And, um, and then in addition to that, there's a post back timer with um with with where you don't receive the results real time but you get based on conversion value timer and like all this type of craziness so now i don't even know what i'm talking about so can you please like explain <laughs> to me like what happens after after the first part of understanding how campaigns work i said so the the one-to-one-to-one -one -to -one idea that's that won't be visible to the advertiser. That's just how Facebook and, and, and Google and other platforms are going to like operate your ads. So, you know, when you are setting up your campaigns, that's not, that's, that's just you sort of telling the ad platform, Hey, I would like you to operate these campaigns in this way. And here's some ad creatives to use. That's not necessarily like a campaign that's, that's put live, right? Facebook then will take. So the idea here is that there's all these limitations and, um, because all the, all of the reporting is, is basically done at the campaign level. Now for Facebook to, to, to run creative or to, to, to show creative to people, they have to basically take that ad and make that its own campaign. Because if they want to measure the performance of that ad, because all the data comes back at the campaign level, they have to make that ad a campaign. They have to, they have to make, they have to create a one-to-one -one relationship between that campaign and that ad. Whereas before, I mean, they got all the click data and all the 
uh, downstream down funnel data at the ad level because they had full transparency into everything. And so they didn't, they didn't care. Like they knew the campaign idea of an ad, but they also knew the ad ID. So they knew exactly which creative a user clicked on and they could, they could tabulate, you know, ROAS by ad. Well, now they can't do that because all the, all the data comes back at the campaign level. And so they have to make a campaign, you know, uh, equivalent to an ad. Um, and that's how they'll collect data for the ad. And so, um, yeah, there's other limitations too, like the timer logic and stuff. But the idea here was, is that, you know, the, the sort of like up to Monday, the sort of Facebook strategy for, you know, the vast majority of develop, uh, advertisers was just, hey, create a campaign, target it, you know, create an ad set, create it really broadly, target it really broadly, and then dump a bunch of ad creative in there. Because Facebook will figure that all that out. They'll look across the entire audience and they'll, they know who the best users are because they have their sort of behavioral profiles. And they'll just test creative on those users and they'll test creative on, on like sort of very specifically tar uh, defined groups, small groups of people based on the data that Facebook has on everybody, right? They could define a group based on parameters that you don't even know exist about you, right? Because Facebook knows all this. They know your, your behavioral history uh, across many types of apps and they also know like demographic data about you. So they, they can group you into groups in, in very specific ways and they just test creative on those small groups. And, and they find the best performing creative at the, at the lowest level of, of like sort of like group definition. Well, now they can't do any of that. They can't, def they can't put you into, into a group, into a very specifically defined group based on behavioral data because they won't have it. Um, and because of these campaign ID limits and the limits on the, the, with the time and the, the restrictions around the, the, the post back timing, um, they're just not going to have that many of these campaigns to, to play with. And so they're going to be, you know, it's just going to be very slow to test creative. Like, you know, I, I know, com I know of companies that were testing a hundred ad creatives a week for a single game for a single app. They were, they were testing a hundred new ad creatives every single week for, for a single app. And you just won't be able to do that anymore because Facebook won't be able to test that quickly. So you'll have to really reduce the sort of volume from that like extreme level uh, to something much more manageable because Facebook might only be able to test five to six creatives a week for you, even at like scale, the scale won't really matter because the limitation is the, the campaign ID limit and the, the post back timer. Um, and so, and, and whatever definitions that you're applying for targeting. So anytime you, anytime you change target, it's not just creative either. It's, it's anytime you change targeting, that's going to require, well, we've got to go test this with a new ID. And we've got to test all the creative that, that you were using for that targeting. And so that's going to eat up however many campaign IDs. Um, and, and, and also the one we just used has to be put into this cool off period for three days. So it's just, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a massive change that's taking place around how, how people were testing creative. Um, and it's really impactful. And I think it, it, that's, that's one aspect of ATT that I think no one ever had sort of talked, spoken about publicly. So I was, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to push that article out just so that like people really grasp, like, wow, this is a big change. Even just from the creative testing standpoint, it's a big change. So just the velocity of testing will decrease significantly for those who are, who, who have actually mastered the process before. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, to master the process, that was a, that was a big change. That was a big change that a lot of companies started undertaking like two three years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, we need to build like an in-house agency. That's just pumping out creative because we see creative as like the main, uh, the main point of leverage, mm -hmm. the main sort of opportunity uh, with with UA. So, so with these limitations, like with with Facebook and Google having these limitations, how many campaigns they they can run and the, the cooldowns, does this mean that <clears throat> that the uh, the advertisers will 
will use more partners. Like they start using mediation platform, like other other platforms to to advertise, so that they can have more creatives go on at the same time. Um, that's a really interesting thought. I I never kind of considered that, but yeah, I guess it, it does because it's it's at the network level. Yeah. So yeah, maybe you would. Maybe that maybe that would make sense to work with like five DSPs now, um, because they'll all have their own set of campaign IDs that they can use for your app, um, and and maybe some of those are just dedicated to creative testing. Now, of course, the, the reason Facebook's so good at this is that they, you know, it's just easy. You know, you, it's the interface is so easy to work with. It's, it's really easy to upload 50, 100 creatives in a week uh, and or in a day and test them. Uh, whereas, you know, some of these platforms are very difficult to work with. But yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, because previously, like maybe two to three years ago, we had campaign managers that are channel specific. So. Yeah. Could that be like one of the point where, where you start going back to be a channel specific because now you're using so many channels just, just to test? Yeah, it could be. I think a lot of, um, a lot of companies organized around like channel type. So they'd have like a programmatic mm -hmm. manager and they'd have a, a, you know, rewarded video network manager and they'd have, but we used know, to have like, Facebook. like a person who's Facebook and then a person right. who's like Google and then a person who's like, um, I don't know, like iron sores and app loving and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, that, that well, that's still that. I mean, I think that's still the the common approach. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, that that could become more more necessary now. So um, so let's talk about the um, the optimization of creative. So the way it worked before is you aggregate the monetization engagement data for users across very many third party properties. Then you group the users into specific segments based on the data. And then very, very rapidly test the ad creatives against those segments and optimize ad targeting by segment based on near re, near real time conversion observations. And you wrote that creative may, may become a source of competitive advantage for companies that are able to shift production in the direction of relatively many concepts versus many variations on few concepts. Can you explain that? Well, the, the targeting thing, that was just what Facebook mm -hmm. did. That was what Facebook did in the background, like mm -hmm. automatically. And that just becomes impossible now. You, they won't be able to, they won't have player profiles. They won't have behavioral profiles. That's, that's all the data that comes back through the SDK and the, the events data. That, that all goes away. And so they won't be able to build up those profiles anymore. And so they're just going to be targeting based, you know, ads to, to broad interest, uh, interests. Like they'll be making interest groups based on what they know about you from onsite data. Because mm -hmm. that's all they have, and so that's that's a big change. And but then the, the 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 competitive advantage piece, like I feel like, well that that's what happened two to three years ago. I mean, companies built out these in-house creative agencies where they just you know were just you know printing you know the you know just, just de de deploying how, however many creatives a week, but in high volumes, right? And and most of those were just kind of variations on a couple of concepts, you know, per some period, right? Like a lot of companies work on like a weekly cadence. So like every Monday we test 50 new creatives and, and really there's like five, there's like five ads, but there's just like 10, 10 variations per ad. Right. And that's what they do. And, and, but, but that built competitive advantage in that, in the sort of new Facebook, Google paradigm of like, Hey, we just, you know, Facebook, we, we just have AAA campaigns. Just, just make one campaign, dump a bunch of ads in there. We'll figure it out. Google UAC was like that, you know, since 2017, just, just dump a bunch of ads. We'll just dump a bunch of 
components of ads. We'll put mm-hmm. them together in sensible ways and we'll deploy them and, and we'll figure it out. Well, that's not going to be the case anymore. They, they won't be able to do that. And so, you know, there's another opportunity to create competitive advantage. It's like, well, now you can't just create five ads per week and, and ultimately test 50 because you just create a bunch of variations. You won't be able to test 50 a week. So why not, why not make 10? If you could find a way to actually make 10 act, real, you know, concepts, 10 differentiated concepts that might be, and, and, you know, you'd have to change the kind of the approach because like all this, all this, all these ads, they're going to be less targeted, right? So people are going to be seeing stuff that just makes no sense to them. And so you're going to have to like punch through, you're going to have to find a way to grab them. And so you really have to, I mean, this is one, this is one area where I think, you know, there is, there is some uh, ability to like pull in the kind of like traditional marketing sensibilities. Like you're going to have to find a way to like really grab people and, and sort of differentiate yourself and set yourself apart from just the noise that they're going to see all the time of, of totally irrelevant ads and, and find a way to connect with the most relevant people because you're going to be, your ads are going to be exposed to a lot of irrelevant people, which wasn't the case. Now, every, everyone's ads are relevant. All the ads that you see are relevant. And so it's like, well, you've just got, you've grown accustomed to like kind of taking them all seriously. Yeah. Think about how, like when we, when we have, when we see an irrelevant ad on like, if you're on Facebook and you see an irrelevant ad, like people think it's funny. Like they actually yeah. post about it. Like, oh, look at this ad. Like, why are they yeah, even yeah. showing me this? Because it's right. But <laughs> yeah, it is. No, that's a good point. I mean, people will post it on Twitter. Oh, look at this ad I just saw. Yeah. I'm like, not, like I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not 80 years old. Ha ha ha. You know what I mean? Exactly. And they think it's funny. And they think it's funny when the ad is like poorly targeted and they see it. But yeah. now that's going to be like kind of normal. Right. It's almost like you're driving your car and seeing all these billboard ads that you couldn't care yeah. less about. It's like, all right. right. I don't even like, I don't care. Like yeah. appliances or whatever it is. Yeah. And I, I think that will be, um, you know, that, that will be a, a change that, that, that companies have to adapt to. It's like, how do I make an ad? And that was always, you know, that was always important. Like grab someone in the first three seconds, right? Like that's what you, that's the time that you have three yeah. seconds. But, but in a, in a world where everyone's ads are relevant um, and people sort of take them seriously because it could be for something that they, they very much want to download or, or buy or whatever um that's a different there's a different strategy involved versus hey i just ignore these ads and scroll past them because i know they're gonna be stupid yeah correct um so before i let you go i got a i got this hypothesis that i need to kind of get your proof on it <laughs> like yeah. am i wrong like how much i'm wrong on this so my hop my hypothesis with this whole Markability and growth is this. So we'll do. A, we'll keep doing a lot of top of the funnel testing. So again, I I personally use Geek Lab for this. It's basically achieve like a first pass of of your setting of your game, the style of your game, the, the art style of the game, and through that optimize your store and in the store conversion. So basically, it allows you to see on on a high level. You don't even have to have your app there. You could have. It just gives you more and more tries, and you can see the data from that. Then. I like, you know, then as you're getting installs into your game, because it's harder to follow, well, it's, it's, it's hard to segment them. You don't know how they perform. So services that, that you know, give deep insights into the consumer traits. So again, in this case, I use 12 traits. Uh, they give you a, a view of how your player base, like what kind of a segments and what kind of a, what kind of personas are you acquiring in your, in your game? And they actually, through their dashboards, you're able to see how these personas perform in your game. And then you use this audience data to actually influence your creative work 
because you kind of don't have the same same type of a churn. So you, you're you looking through these consumer research results, you see that, all right, I'm getting more altruistic players and they're performing really well in this game and they have a high endurance level in this game. So we need more of these type of players and they give you sort of a, um, they give you a bunch of different targeting data for those. And then you start create, making creatives that, that really fit to acquire those type of players. And then again, you test these creatives through Geek Lab or other type of a service like that, where you can see how well they perform, what's their IPM, what's the click-through rate, and 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 what how how is the store asset performing, and then you again do the follow it up with with your audience trades with 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 other consumer research uh, platforms. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's going to be an important part of the process now. I mean, you know, and Geek Lab is a great tool for that. Um, I think, you know, just the idea that, you know, it's not just the marketing that has to change. Like you have to make games that are, that work in this environment, right? Mm -hmm. And so all that top of the funnel stuff becomes a lot more important. I mean, you know, if you would have talked to people at like MZ or, you know, some of these like German strategy game companies, they would say like, yeah, we, we, we actively try to churn people out because we yeah. only, we use, we use, um, or like we use creatives that we know are going to be sort of like repulsive to, to people that aren't just true believers, right? That aren't, you know, the most uh, relevant audience for our game. And that's fine. Like we'll churn people out. Like we want to churn those people out. What's yeah. the point of having them? Because we want to give the core audience exactly what they want. And, and it has to be that way because we don't, we're not going to, they won't monetize as well as we need them to because this game is so niche that our, a lot of our marketing dollars are kind of like... It, you know, in a way wasted. And so, cause there's no way to only target this very tiny group of people. And so, you know, like, well, that idea, you've got to basically take the inverse of that. Now it's like, we have to make a game that anybody could want to play um, because we will have no ability to sort of like hyper target a really relevant audience. And so instead of, you know, using creative that is very, very relevant for a very specific audience that will be receptive to it, but like, repulsive to everybody else and 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 the same with like the early funnel we have to make something that everybody could really enjoy um and kind of like you know sort of target to the lowest common denom denominator there and so like then then well you have to move further and further up funnel to make sure every single step is optimized right and that includes you know the the sort of and, and people do this now the the sort of like aso approach of just testing st store creatives and stuff but that's going to become a lot more important i think because you're going to need to retain as many people as you can across every single one of those steps and not even really think about the app install as like a specific moment. Got it, got it. And then as you retain them more, it's easier to do that consumer research or player research through that and understanding whether, whether it trades, why they're playing and that let that influence further your creative decisions to, to acquire players. Because that, you know, when you understand the player trades, you're able to infuse your creatives with those. So that allows you to, you know, skew your ads more towards what the best type of players out of that broad segment could enjoy the most. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, I kind of think about this like a circus. And so I think, you know, what you're going to have to do is make a big, big, big tent, mm -hmm. right? You have to make a really broadly appealing game that anyone could want to install and then personalize the experience at the user level. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's what Facebook and Google did for you before. They just, they just, they did all that personalization in terms of targeting and they gave you the, the most relevant users for your game, which was just like this one thing. 
well, now your game needs to mean different things for different people, but it has to be broadly appealing enough to get anybody into it. So think about like a circus, you need a huge, big circus tent where there's a lot of different attractions. And then as soon as someone comes in, you need to route them to the right attraction for them. Right. Versus before you had a tiny tent that just had one attraction, you charged a hundred bucks to enter, but people got exact, only the people that wanted that exact attraction were coming in. Well, now you've got to get everybody in, charge them a a dollar, but then put, push them into the attraction that they most want to see and then monetize them there. Interesting. How, how, uh, all right. I'm going to think about how, how, how to make that work in practice because yeah. now i'm just thinking about clowns and elephants and that doesn't yeah. help <laughs> and uh bears riding uh tricycles well <laughs> i think if your if your circus doesn't have a bear riding a tricycle it's a useless circus like why yeah. what are you doing <laughs> what's the point yeah. um i mean i think the, the way a lot of companies think about this now is start, starter pack right dynamic starter pack mm-hmm. but you can you can you can extend that idea in so many interesting ways yeah 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 for sure. Well, listen, Eric, as always, a pleasure. And we'll see you in Twig next week. That's right, man. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody have a have a great day. Remember to sign up for ios14strategy.com. Was That's that right? ios14strategy.com. Link in the description. Um, then you get a little discount if you if you if you put in the code and get yourself some learning. So we'll catch you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening through the whole episode. For more growth content, please check out previous episodes on Deconstructor of Fun Podcast and do visit the Mobile Dev Memo website as well as the Mobile Dev Memo podcast. For more growth topics, please do connect with myself or Eric Sufer directly through LinkedIn or Twitter. And for discussion about what we talked on this podcast, please join the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group. The application can be found on deconstructor.com website. And last, but definitely not least, huge thanks to our sponsors, Iron Source and Apps Flyer. Catch you guys on the next episode. Bye.